Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. So the key, as we've been sharing to this teaching on the kingdom of God, is that Jesus is the treasure, and the kingdom of God is the field. And it's the environment of the treasure. And so in order to truly possess the blessings of Jesus Christ the King, you have to buy the kingdom. The, 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 the treasure came in a field and they couldn't be separated. And that is a profound revelation um, because it tells us that Jesus did not just come to give us salvation that takes us to heaven. More importantly, he came to bring back the kingdom of God that Adam had lost. And that really was the message of the gospel and remains to this day the heart of the gospel message. From the moment that Jesus arrived in the world until right now the world has been in conflict with him and with everyone that is connected with Jesus. And everyone associated with his kingdom has experienced persecution, tension, and pressure and resistance, if not from people, certainly from the enemy. Satan has never stopped fighting against the kingdom of God. And so we experience in this life kingdoms in conflict. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. After preaching the gospel in the cities of Rome, the apostle Paul was beaten by, um, I'm mean, sorry, not Rome, but the Roman Empire. After preaching the gospel in, in the cities of the Roman Empire, at one point um, Paul's beaten uh, by a mob and drug outside of the city and left for dead. But he recovers, and when he recovers, he says to the Christians in Acts 14 and 22, we must enter the kingdom of God through many persecutions. We must enter the kingdom of God through many persecutions. Certainly not one of the verses that you hear quoted that make people jump up and down and shout hallelujah. And you almost, if even just secretly hope that you never have to experience it. And could you lower this a little bit? That would be great. Thank you. So why does the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of love, the gospel of mercy and grace and of forgiveness, why does the gospel of Jesus draw persecution? Have you ever, it is ironic. It doesn't seem to make sense. It, he is the gift of God, gift of God's love to the world. Why has the world been in non-stop conflict with him and with the gospel ever since he came. And the simple answer is because the world is actually a kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. There may be a variety of nations, empires that have risen and fallen, but the history of the world is the history of a fallen spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that was originally the kingdom of God. A kingdom that God established in the world, set a garden in the midst of it, made man in his image and likeness, and made man the delegate, the representative of God. In his image and likeness, Adam was the first ambassador of God's territorial, physical kingdom that he created to mirror the spiritual kingdom of God. And so when Adam fell, that kingdom fell out of fellowship with God. And it became an alien 
and rebellious kingdom in the world. And so, no matter what nations come and go, the world is under satanic influence. When Jesus came and preached forgiveness and offered mercy and healing, he was reconnecting people. He was bringing reconciliation. The Bible calls it the ministry of reconciliation. But the reason the world hated him and hated his ministry, and to this day, the spirit of the kingdom of this world hates that ministry of Jesus, who has done nothing but good for mankind. And the reason is, is that Jesus connects people not with the world, but with the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't come and endorse the kingdoms of this world. And so they are bitterly jealous and angry against him. The God of this world, the Bible says, is Satan. And he is the one who's behind the throne of every authority in the world. If he's not directly behind every president, every king, every senator, he wants to be and he's trying to be. Every school teacher, every college professor, every mother and every father, anyone within this world who has influence over somebody else, Satan wants that authority. He is seeking to have that authority. And with some people, he has gotten it. And with others, it's just a running battle. And so that's why there's persecution against the gospel of Jesus. Jesus said in the 17th chapter of John, as he prayed for us and interceded for us, he said, Father, I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. So as I said, God created the world and he put man in it, in his image and likeness. And the world was, in the beginning, the physical kingdom of God, the physical territory, the extension of God's eternal spiritual reign. So how is it that God ended up on the outside looking in? I know all of us have, one form or another, heard explanations, but I want to go back to this story of origins. And I want to look at it again because I, I believe there's, reasons why it's important for us to understand the kingdoms in conflict and why they're in conflict and what it is that you and I can do about it to be effective in this world. So God creates this physical territory. He's on the outside looking in. And the reason is, is that when he delegated that throne of authority to Adam, the devil saw it, and the minute he saw that authority, he wanted it. And I'm going to pick up on that in a moment. But um, when Adam sat upon the throne and ruled over the world under God's authority, the Holy Spirit became the most important relationship that man had. It was the Holy Spirit that Adam was walking and talking with in the garden and fellowshipping with. The Holy Spirit, if you want to kind of... Uh, conceptualize it in a simple way is God engaging with us and we call that the Holy Spirit um, and so the Holy Spirit's the most important relationship that man had because through the Holy Spirit Adam lived in direct communion with the eternal God and he had great power under God's authority and that made the Holy Spirit the most important person on earth in the beginning, the Holy Spirit was 
the fountainhead of God's authority upon the earth and had that relationship with Adam and connected him with God. No wonder it says in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Someone finish it for me. In the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom of God is in the Holy Ghost because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God's authority. Now back to what I'd said before. When Satan saw God give authority, the authority of his kingdom to Adam, he saw power. And he immediately came to steal that power. If, if Satan, when he was Lucifer, could not succeed at exalting his throne above the throne of God, then he would settle for the next best thing. He would take God's delegated throne in God's kingdom upon the earth, and he'd try to take that. It was the closest he could ever get to succeeding at his um, desire to rebel against God and have God's authority. So what I want to do is take a few minutes and take a look at the strategy, Satan's strategy against the kingdom of God. Now, to obtain God's delegated authority over the earth, Satan had to first break man's relationship with the Holy Spirit. Would you agree with that? The Holy Spirit's the most important person in the world. He keeps man as the ambassador of the kingdom of God. God's plan in the beginning was that Adam would multiply, have children, and the human race would not dominate itself. It would dominate the earth and the world and all of mankind would be God's ambassadors throughout the world. Praise the Lord. So Satan attacked that relationship to drive a wedge between the Holy Spirit and Adam. And that would effectively cause the loss of the kingdom of God on earth. If he could break that relationship, the kingdom of God would be lost. Adam would still have authority, but it would no longer be the kingdom of God. And we're going to take a look at why that is. And so, if he could sever the relationship, that fallen kingdom that Adam now has would become a rebellious kingdom and in conflict with the kingdom of God, an enemy kingdom, if you will, in rebellion. So, <clears throat> now Adam's authority under the Holy Spirit was wide-ranging. And in, in, you could say, except for one exception, it was limitless. God basically said, you can go and I want you to manage and rule everything. He gave Adam complete authority. Adam acted as a king. There was only one thing Adam was not allowed to do. That authority had one limit to it. Now I want you to, I want you to hear, because I'm going to be a little creative when I talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because I think when we think about eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we immediately think about a tree with some fruit. And it just doesn't make sense to us why that would cause the fall of the human race, why that would cause the, the severance of the, the kingdom of God upon the earth. So I want to phrase it like this. That one limitation to his authority was that Adam must live under the truth that good and evil was eternally fixed under God's sovereign authority. When he said you cannot take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I don't believe that he was telling Adam that I don't want you to know what evil is. 
Because how can God tell you not to take something if you have no idea that it even exists? <clears throat> Adam was innocent. There was no evil in him. But he knew the one thing about evil that is the one door, the one point that we all need to know is that God said, don't do it. Don't do it. Evil is breaking God's word and believing that God wasn't straight with you, that God wasn't honest, that God was holding something back from you. And so the devil crafted this perfect device to try to get Adam to break his authority with God. You see, God had said, good and evil are not in your hand to sort through and make a value judgment about. It's not your place. What is right and wrong, what is up and down, what is moral and immoral, I have fixed eternally. And I'm not asking you to render an opinion about it. I'm not asking you to write a code of authority. I'm not uh, asking you to write a moral code. I have fixed what righteousness is. And I am not allowing you to go in and improve upon it. It's perfect. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the knowledge of good and evil is basically God's right to know what is light and what is darkness, what is right and what is wrong. You don't have to go out and become a drug addict to know that giving yourself to the bondage of Satan through drugs is evil. You just have to know, don't listen to the devil. Don't do that. Don't disobey God. Amen? So <clears throat> the truth is the foundation of righteousness and the foundation of moral uh, boundaries. It was eternally and unchangingly fixed from the beginning of time. In fact, in 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, what is the very first statement of the Gospel of John? In the beginning, finish it for me. In the beginning was the... In the beginning was the Word. The Word was not incomplete. Truth was not incomplete. It was complete. Man was never asked to finish the sentence, flesh out the Word. The Word was complete. In fact, they knew that in the Old Testament for Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in the heavens. So the Word, the truth, with all of its morality and boundaries and what's right and what's wrong, was fixed before God ever created the physical world, before there ever was a world, and before God ever put man in the world. So when man was given authority and dominion, it was wide-ranging and far-reaching, but the one thing he couldn't do was you cannot tamper with what's right and wrong. You don't have the right to make an opinion about it. It doesn't need to be judged. Are you listening to me? Truth does not, the truth of God does not need to pass some human test of approval. And the taking of the, the tree of good and evil was the devil tempting man saying, you can judge God. God has held back something from you. He knows that 
He knows that if you exercise your liberty, matter of fact, he wants you to take initiative. Go ahead and take initiative. You'll be like God, which is, which is what God wanted in the beginning. So there's the devil lying, saying whatever he can say, finding any inroad he can to get man to take that step of saying, I can handle the knowledge of good and evil and sort it out. God said, it's not a matter of whether you think you can. I've commanded you. You can't do it. There's an eternal lock on it, and don't touch it. Are you listening to me? So all Satan had to do was to coax Adam into challenging God's sovereignty over good and evil. And that is exactly what Adam did. Because in doing it, Satan knew it would turn him into a traitor against the kingdom of God. He was the king of the kingdom, and by doing what he did, he became a traitor. He was guilty of treason, and God said, in the day that you do that, if you do that, you will be guilty of treason, and treason is punishable by death. There is probably not a nation or kingdom or empire on the face of the earth that has not always treated treason against the kingdom as a crime punishable by death. And you have to think about it. Why is treason punishable by death? Because when you commit treason against the kingdom, you put in jeopardy every person in that kingdom. You go against what makes the kingdom the kingdom. And so even evil kingdoms, even carnal kingdoms, have a death sentence against treason. And there's a good reason for it. If you allow treason, then the boundaries of the kingdom that make people a people begin to fall apart and lives become completely unfounded and scattered. So at any rate, enough said, you can just use your imagination, think about that. But the bottom line is the death sentence against Adam's sin was for treason against the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought about it that way? Adam was sentenced to death for treason against the kingdom. That's why it's the nature of sin to trivialize itself as simply human moral flaws rather than acts against the kingdom. Most people, when they sin, just simply think, well, it's a moral boo-boo, I've got a weakness, uh, and... Um, uh, you know, this is my issue. We don't ever think that if we rebel against God, we're rebelling against the kingdom. We never think that we're violating our loyalty to the kingdom of God. This is why the church has largely existed, whether small or large, without effectively moving forward like the, like the chronicle in the book of Acts describes the forward progress of the church in Acts. We haven't seen a church consistently move with that kind of fruit, that kind of power, is because we no longer think of ourselves as the kingdom. So when we do sin, and we are going to sin, and the Bible says, John said, if we say we have no sin, we make, ourselves, we make God a liar, and we're lying to ourselves. But because we don't see sin as a violation against the kingdom, we don't treat it with that level of seriousness. Father, forgive me if I violated the kingdom of God. This isn't just me. This isn't just I've offended you and 
If I were honest, Lord, I really don't see what's wrong with doing this, but, you know, they say at church you shouldn't do it, so, Lord, forgive me. We trivialize and minimalize sin because we do not see ourselves in the kingdom of God, and we don't treat our lives that way. In fact, I would say the greatest fault of the church today is not taking the kingdom of God seriously. The church today is guilty of, of, of a lot of things, but I think most of them could be categorized under simply taking the kingdom lightly. And a church without a strong allegiance to the kingdom of God will not stand and defend the truth because they see it simply as their doctrine. They see it as their position. And they see their responsibility is not allegiance to the king, but they see their responsibility as being relevance to the world. And so they're willing to trade off their positions. Many of those positions are founded on the truth that Adam put us into sin by thinking he had the right to go in and challenge those things. And so I think the thing that is grievous to a lot of Christians and, and even non-Christians today in the, in the cultural revolution that we're experiencing is that things that are clearly under the truth are being taken and dismantled and challenged and torn open. The thing that plunged the human race into rebellion against God is now being practiced on to a higher degree than we in our lifetimes have ever seen it. And you say, well, we, it's a fallen kingdom, but we are plunging the world into deeper darkness. There are degrees of darkness. If you study human history, if you're a student of history, you certainly know that throughout the ages there have been periods of light and periods of darkness. And in periods of light when the when the kingdoms and nations of the world are rising under the light of the gospel of Christ, there is freedom and there is expression and there, there are wonderful things that are done and inventions that are released and great help and assistance for people. But as a kingdom's declining into darkness and in tyranny, because of this very sin, oppression is multiplied. Souls are kept out of the kingdom. More people are kept chained in darkness. So it is absolutely essential that we understand why the conflicts between the kingdoms is going on, what's happening today, and why it should matter to you and I. Earth's delegated kingdom authority was assigned to man and so Satan knew that he couldn't just come into the world and do what he wanted to do. He had to get people to do it. Do you understand? Does that make sense to you? Anything that Satan wants to happen in this fallen kingdom, he has to find people to do it. He has to find men and women who are willing to go along with him. Right? And uh, no division can enter your family unless you bring it in or someone in your household brings it in. And once it comes through the door, how do you deal with it? Do you deal with it in a way that allows it simply to touch others and to multiply and spread? 
or do you immediately bring it into the kingdom and deal with it through the Prince of Peace and, and uh, do those things that are necessary so that you bring God's kingdom blessing, your house back under that kingdom blessing. All of the violent revolt and strife that we're experiencing right now in our cities is a direct result of demons stirring up people to fight for their right to challenge the eternal truth and moral authority of the kingdom of God. That's a sentence you should write somewhere in your Bible. Because that is the answer of all that is happening right now. And unfortunately, the poor people that are involved in it, they have no idea of what I'm talking about. They don't realize that they're being manipulated. They don't know that Satan is manipulating them, that he's driving them. They think they just went to school and paid $40,000 for an education, and they're using it. So they don't, they don't see the spiritual uh, uh, significance to all of this. Um, but through the powers of education and culture, and politics, Satan is fighting to overthrow the influence of the kingdom of God over our country and over all the countries of the world. This battle is going on across the earth today. You can see the enemy trying to set the world up for the Antichrist, for the rise of the Antichrist. If you've ever wondered, well, what is Antichrist? What I'm talking about this morning in its core and essence is exactly what the spirit of Antichrist is. It is the insistence to hold on to Adam's original sin. I have the right to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I can determine moral law. You see, God never told Adam. It was never the right of the human race to go out and write constitutions. Not that there's anything wrong with our constitution, but to write moral law. Moral law exists. The I am said what is, is. Does that make sense? Why did God say to Moses, I am that I am? Because he wanted to, him to know you have just met the eternal one and that the truth originates with me and it cannot be improved upon or changed. You only have one option when you meet God. You accept or you reject. That's it. But you, you do not go in investigating, questioning, and saying, well, I, I like the idea of God blessing me, but I don't like the idea of not being able to lie. I need to be able to lie once in a while. I wouldn't be able to talk if I couldn't lie once in a while. Um, I, and, or any, any of the things that the Word of God, just take a look at the Ten Commandments. Any of those things, committing fornication or... or um, um, uh, infidelity and breaking marriage covenants. Why can't we do that? You know, 10 years is long enough in this relationship. I'm ready to move on. Who is God to tell us that we shouldn't, you know, that uh, it's cruel, you know, if I'd have known this, I wouldn't have. And so there's all of these rights that people think they have that they really don't have. They're holding on to the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good evil. They're holding on to that spirit of rebellion, demanding the right. And you know, this week they started burning Bibles in the city of Portland, and they're rioting. And things like that have been happening. It's starting, the fact is that the persecution against Christians, which has been at the heart of this 
revolution from the beginning. It's always been about getting at Jesus and severing his right to have a say-so, an absolute kingdom say-so over us. Adam's fallen rebellious children believe the kingdom is theirs and they can write its rules any way they want to write it. It's theirs to do. And think about it. You used to think that way. I did too. That seems perfectly reasonable. It must seem just completely insane if someone were sitting with a secular mindset listening to me going, what, you're telling me that we don't have the right to write moral laws? We not only have the right, we have the responsibility, but that responsibility is not to decide that north is now south and south is north, or to decide that a chipmunk is now a pony. Or, I'm, you know, obviously I'm picking things that are non-controversial, but you, you understand that some things are embedded in nature and they are what they are. And so God had said to Adam, the knowledge of good and evil, to be able to, to change what is evil and say, no, I'm not so sure that's evil, that's good. He said, don't even eat from that tree. You don't have the right to make those choices. They are what they are. As long as you are allowing me to be God, your authority will be unabated. You will have joy. You will have purpose. You will have the freedom to multiply and to build this kingdom up over the face of the earth. You know, and here we are today, 6,000 years later, trying to be happy, trying to make a happy world and uh, do what God had, had said in the beginning. In the book of Joel, Joel said, let the heathen be wakened. Isn't that amazing? Listen to that word. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get down, get down into the winepress, for the press is full and the vats are overflowing, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. You see, the enemy is hastening us to the valley of decision. And notice that phrase opened up by saying, let the heathen be woke. So it comes from the Bible, the woke movement. But God said when the heathen are woke, they're going to awake to darkness. They're waking up to deception. They're waking up to a spirit of Antichrist that is drawing them into the valley of decision. If they let that spirit draw them in there, they will fall by the sickle of judgment. And so we need to understand today that the, that the enemy is trying to collect the population and draw them into this great woke movement and set them up to be destroyed. It was into this rebellious kingdom. This rebellious kingdom has always been there. This is nothing new. Um, it was into this rebellious kingdom of the world that Jesus came to bring man back under his kingdom authority and to begin to restore the kingdom of God on earth. That's why Jesus said when he told us to pray, what was the first thing? He said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
And then he ended it with, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. The restoration of God's kingdom under you, or under him, with you, under your authority, was why Jesus came. And he said that should be the thing that drives our walk with him and our prayer. So as I bring this thing to a close, I want you to, I want you to think about what happened when they crucified Jesus. I want you to notice how Jesus gained the right over the fallen kingdom. Because when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he actually gained the right over the kingdom that Satan had been ruling in Adam's name ever since the beginning of the fall. Jesus captured that right. Now I want you to think with me about how that happened. Jesus was executed as the king of the kingdom of God. That's actually what he was put on trial for. That is what he was executed for. And when, they, when Pilate said, I want you to put above his head the king of the Jews or the king of God's people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the ones that had, had held religious authority over the people, they, they fought him about it, and they didn't want that put up there. They didn't want it known that they were executing the king of the kingdom of God. And Pilate said because he didn't care about a whit about the spiritual kingdom of God. He said, Jesus, what is truth? But he knew that Jesus was a hundred times better than any of them, and he didn't want to crucify him. And so he said to the Jews, he said, what I've written, I have written. That was the hand of God, making sure that when they executed Jesus, that it was clear that the entire world was executing Jesus for being the king of the kingdom of God. Let me say it again, just in case it hasn't sunk in. Jesus was executed by the entire world, represented, was the entire secular authority of the world through the Roman Empire. Represented was the entire religious authority of the world through the Jewish leaders. They accused him, claiming to be the king, and that's exactly what Pilate crucified him for, against his better judgment. So Jesus dies for claiming to be the king, but heaven knows he is the king. He is not just the lamb, he is the king. And isn't it, isn't it amazing that the king lowered himself to the point of becoming a lamb, that the king himself came, the second Adam. God said, God in the very beginning laid his marker down. In the very beginning, God said to the serpent, I am putting conflict between you and the human race. And her son will bruise your head, though you will bruise his heel. So he said exactly what Paul said. Through much conflict, we are entering the kingdom. That conflict is there. And you and I today are entering the kingdom through that conflict. The conflict is because the, Jesus has bruised the serpent's head. Now listen to me. They crucified him as the king of the kingdom. And so as the victim of the world's treason against the kingdom of God, Jesus now, because he is the victim, wrongly murdered, wrongly put to death, he now has the right, when he rises from the dead, to either forgive the world's sinners or to condemn them. 
because they have committed against him that murder, and now he has the right for retribution or for forgiveness. He is the king. So on Calvary's cross, Jesus exercises the right even before he draws his last breath, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know. And the last person who knew anything was the devil who put them up to it. He had no idea. And the Bible says, had the devil known what he was doing, he would have never let them offer up Jesus that way. Jesus came out of that grave with the keys, not just of death, hell, and the grave, but the keys of the kingdom of God that Adam lost. They were literally taken from Satan and put into the hands of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus has the legal right to forgive anyone who was involved in that crucifixion, and that is every member of the human race. So because the Lamb of God is the King of the kingdom, His blood is upon you and I. His blood right now is upon the entire human race. And it can be the sin that puts you in hell, or that blood can be the offering that makes you His child in the kingdom of God. It's all how you approach Jesus. Take the field. When you find the treasure, buy the field. The kingdom of God is yours. I want you to stand with me this morning. And as we pray, let's focus on this one fact. Jesus said, you're the light of the world because we have kingdom authority. Those keys... Jesus gave them to us. The keys to forgive sinners. Do you remember when Jesus in John 20 breathed on the disciples? And he said, as he breathed upon them, said, Receive the Holy Ghost. Whose sins you forgive, they're forgiven. You and I have the power. We can see evil and say, there should be judgment. That should stop. They should pay for that. But we want to make sure we're fully out from under any guilt ourselves before that judgment falls. <laughs> so you understand that the Lord has put us here to free the captives. And so let's, let's pray a kingdom prayer this morning. Join me. Father God, we come before your throne. It is a throne established in grace and mercy. It is a throne where the eternal truth that just cannot be broken reigns. And you in your infinite love, you loved us when we were in Adam, perfect before the fall. You love us now. Your love is truly amazing. And so with that love, Father, we pray for all the people of our world of our immediate community, and especially those, Lord, who through pursuing this spirit of good and evil, they don't know what they're doing, but they are driving themselves deeper into darkness, and they're making it harder for them to come into the light because Satan is gaining an excessive hold over their minds. But we know that you can break those holds and you have given us the keys to bind the enemy. We pray for them 
those who cannot pray for themselves. We pray that you will release those who are captive. We pray, Father, that the spirits of darkness right here where you have given us authority in our city, in our community, will be bound. We pray that here in our land, in our corner of the kingdom, truth will break through and mercy will enter hearts. There are people, Father, that we have been talking to, people that we have been speaking with, people of our household, Lord, that we've been relating with for years that need to come out of this darkness. We pray that light will break forth, that the Holy Spirit will let them know, Lord, of your love. If they see that light, they will come. Lord, if darkness does not own them, they will come. And so if you're hearing this prayer right now, and you don't know Jesus, but darkness does not fully and completely own you, that's Jesus the light, the love of your life knocking at the door of your heart. Of course there's a battle. Of course there's a struggle. Satan doesn't want to lose the soul that he has. You're an important person in this life. Everywhere you go and everything you touch is an expression of your personal authority. And Satan wants to own that. Don't give it to him. Turn your life over to Jesus Christ and become free. Father, bless them in Jesus' name. Let's close with this simple prayer. Now I want to pray on behalf of sinners everywhere, on behalf of unsaved people who don't know the Lord, and ask that, that anyone who doesn't know Jesus join and let this be your prayer, opening the door of your life and becoming free this morning. God, I believe that you are truly God. You are knocking as Jesus upon the door of my heart, which I now open and I say, acknowledging you, come in and be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me, Lord, to overcome my pride. Heal my hurts and brokenness. Lord, my life is yours. Thank you, God, for I now believe I am your child. Send the Holy Spirit into my life in Jesus' name.